Hi, this is Matt Stagliano, and thanks for being part of the Artist Forge. We're a community of creatives who help each other think like an artist by discussing creativity as a process instead of a skill or a talent. We believe everyone has what it takes to create something amazing, we just need some encouragement and inspiration along the way. What you're about to hear is a live recording of one of our daily discussions on the Clubhouse app. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to join our private Facebook group or visit us on the web at theartistforge.com. Now on to the show. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Morning Walk and Business Talk with the Artist Forge. My name is Nicole York. I will be your host as I cruise along on my morning walk. And we have discussions about business as artists. We have been in the discussion about business for the last week and some change, just trying to figure out how we can master the business of art. And today we are talking about marketing, extending our conversation. Yesterday we started with some of the very broad basics and today we're getting into how we actually find our ideal client. We know some of the things we can do to market, things like personal branding and messaging, what the heart of our business is, the value that we're adding to the marketplace. But how do we find these people and who are they? We're gonna have that discussion today. We're gonna to talk about things like customer avatars, spending and buying habits, personality types, where we can find these people, how do we reach them? So our resident business guru, the lovely Cat Ford Coates of Atelier Unforgettable is gonna be driving the conversation today around finding our ideal clients. And I know yesterday we had some really great back and forth with this idea of an avatar and i know you started cat with the really broad points looking at things like demographics and all that good stuff so now that we have a few ideas of things that we can talk to our ideal clients about how do we find these people these all right so the one question i did want to ask are we sort of What's the, what's the best way to ask this? Um, are we determining this based on the business plan blueprint that we were, that we kicked off? I don't know if it was earlier this week or last week about a specific type of photographer, or are we gearing this primarily like as a general overview? So I think we can certainly use that business kind of overview if we need specific examples. Um, but this is, I think we can stay as much as possible with a broader point so it's applicable all the way across the earth. Okay, cool. Um, all right. Well, the way I typically like to do just about anything in business is by reverse engineering. So when it comes to marketing, you know, we talked a little bit about word clouds yesterday, and that's really a, a super simple formula for my brain. Um, to keep it in that left brain space um, as I sort of diagram out the different things. And I do that by saying, okay, what is it that I want to sell, right? Is it a fine art line? Is it a fantasy art line? Is it uh, personal branding? Is it standard portrait? Is it boudoir? That kind of thing. And then start thinking about the pain points that would then be a catalyst for someone to make a purchase. Uh, because that, that product, right. Or that experience that I'm providing is solving 
is the solution for those pain points. It alleviates that pain. And then work your way backwards and say, okay, so what is the pain that my product or service is alleviating? And then who experiences that pain, right? So is it a mom? Is it a grandmother? Is it uh, some um, CEO? Is it, you know, find that archetype and start there. And then start thinking, okay, so if it's a CEO, right, where does that person spend their time and where do they spend their money? Uh, And that's really where you can start dialing in, building out, that ideal client because if you can already tell where they're spending their money you become part of that traffic and now all of a sudden your product or service becomes part of where they spend their money um so you want to think about gosh who are they what's their family status what do they value then you get into like the the nitty-gritty demographics right like how old are they where do they spend their time? Where do they spend their money? Uh, so when you have that sort of idea, you think about, okay, what are they wearing? Say you're at a networking event and you're really trying to you know, kick off your personal branding game, right? So you have several types of people that are in those networking events. And some of them are dressed really, really well to the nines, but it's fairly conservative. Others are there and kind of like oversized sweaters and they they don't really say much. Um, Other people might be there in really kind of bold or flashy outfits or in name brand, like big time name brand shoes, right? Especially for women. Uh, Those big time name brand shoes tell you like, okay, whether or not they're conservatively dressed or flashy dressed, that shoe becomes a status symbol and you see, oh, okay, they value Louboutin, right? They value the status that that brings them of success and, you know, that white glove top of their game kind of person. Uh, And then you kind of say, okay, well, this person has status or wants to have status, right? They're wearing like really crazy shoes. But this woman over here, she's, you know, maybe she's in her 50s and she's not really super professionally dressed, but she's not, you know, in sweats on the couch either. All right, what are their values? And as you start to talk to these people, they will tell you what their values are simply by what you what they ask you. And this is really where you want to pay attention because the questions that they ask you are their highest values. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay, so if somebody says, hey, Nicole, I'm Kat. God, nice to meet you. Uh, you know, gosh, how many kids do you have? Three. Okay, right? But in that very, like that first five seconds, if my first question to you is, do you have kids, right? That means that family is probably my highest value. That's my number one. Like, I love my kids. I want to show you my kids. I want to know about your kids because that's something that I can connect with you on. But if my first question is, hey, you know, hi, hi, Nicole, I'm Kat. What do you do? And then you would then know that my highest value is the work that I do. That's my purpose. That's why I'm there is I can connect with you in this 
setting, right? Based on everybody does something. And what I do is really important to me. So that's going to be my fastest lane to connection. And then you start reverse engineering from that space and say, okay, well, if family is their highest value, then I can connect with them on a familial way. Like for me personally, I don't have children, right? But family is one of my highest values, right? Legacy is important. My parents mean the world to me, so on and so forth. So you sort of determine who that person is and say, okay, what products or services do I offer that would speak to somebody where family is, is their highest value? Is that a family portrait session? Is that a mommy and me session? Things like that. And then you start really getting into, okay, all right, family is the highest value. So if somebody has family as a high value, then where, where, where are their pain points? What are their pain points that you can be the solution for? Or how do you connect them with the, the answers that are outside of your scope of work? So when you start thinking about your ideal client, it's not one specific avatar. But I encourage everyone to say, okay, who are the demographics that I'm targeting based on the solution that my work provides for that pain? Okay, beautiful. So what we're doing here is we're starting really broad with things like <laughs> age, sex, location. Um, <laughs> with the, Sorry, that's a joke for all the uh, older folks who were around in the days of AOL chat rooms. Anyway, so we're starting off with some of the broader demographics, and then we're starting to narrow down. And what is the purpose of this avatar cat? Like when we do this, what does it actually give us and how is that going to benefit us when we start our marketing process? So when you're able to start identifying who this person is, what they do, where they spend their money, where they spend their time, what their values are, that allows you to connect that with the work that you're already doing and that you want to sell. So if I have a, a product or a service that I want to sell, what needs does that meet for these different avatars? If I go in blind and I'm just like, I want to show up and shoot people, right? And then all of a sudden you realize like, oh, they want me to shoot up newborns. God, no, right? Then you know that that's maybe not, at least for me, that's not the best connection, right? But if you meet somebody and they're like, you know what? I have been paying $50 for headshots for years. And you know what? I've never liked them. And it's always such a pain in the ass because I walk in the door and I'm out in 15 minutes and I have this subpar thing and it doesn't match my brand at all. And you say, oh shit, well, I do offer personal branding and in personal branding, it's more than just a headshot, right? Like it's, what was the, the tagline um, earlier in the week? Like, was so why be too. cookie cutter when you can be... be curated or something something like that yeah she had a yeah. really good one i can't remember what it was but you know that like personal branding is is your bread and butter and you're really great at it and you tailor these sessions to the client their brand their brand palette and everything that they want to say to the world like yeah i'm on top of it i'm talking to everybody in there who wants more than just a one-off headshot and 
I'm being the solution to their problem. Does that mean that I'm going to run up to them and be like, hey, I'm Kat. I'm really good at this. Nice to meet you. No. I make sure I have supporting marketing materials with me that showcase that. But I want to be in service to them. And I want to know who I'm in service to so that I don't want to call, you know, wasting time talking to the wrong demographic because that's not true. But I know that there are definitely fast lanes. And when I can identify the pain points for the people that value what it is that I have to offer, and I can identify them from across the room or in within 30 seconds of a conversation, you can bet that I'm going to be at 150% in service to them before anybody says a word about I need a photographer. Okay, so you made a really good point there. I just want to circle back to that and maybe you can expand on, well, we'll expand on it a little bit, but you said, you know, you don't want to call it wasting time, but it's really interesting because like, obviously with this in-person approach, like if you're at a networking event or something like that, making connections are never really wasted, right? But we are going to be using our understanding of these avatars and their pain points and their pleasure points to do things like write copy for our advertisements that we're putting money behind. And if we spend our time talking to the wrong people about the wrong things, we absolutely will be wasting our time and our money. So even though I know you're being kind of like careful and gentle there about the in-person stuff, but I think you have a really good point that when we look at expanding this, you know, taking this avatar and using that basically as the person we're talking to, when we do things like write copy, when we choose our advertising demographics, when we start narrowing it down to things like, well, do they also like, do they like the Gucci Facebook page? Do they like, you know, baby's first year magazine? Do they like, what other things do they like that will help me target this individual based on what I know about them? If we're not using all the things you just mentioned about learning who this person is when we start trying to target them, yeah, it's 100%. Well, and another way to, to sort of dig into this space is figuring out who you are, right? Where do you spend your money? And why do you spend your money with the brands that you do, right? And take a look at like, okay, I spend a lot of money on Amazon. Jeez Louise, my studio closet is filled with a shit ton of Amazon, right? But I say, okay, why Amazon? Why am I going there over eBay or Target or eDressit or ASOS? I'm going to Amazon because I want it yesterday, right? So the speed of delivery is important to me. And I'm going to Amazon. The, the price point may not even be the cheapest, right? But that speed of delivery is important to me. And the easy access to the library of materials and pieces that I could purchase, I know are on Amazon. All right, so if Amazon, I'm a target client for Amazon, and I realize that's broad, like who doesn't use Amazon at this point? Um, but they have the variety that I'm looking for because brands worldwide are selling there. So it's like going to the virtual mall, right? I don't have to get in my car and go to 16 different places because my time is valuable to me. I know that 75% of the time, if I'm looking for something, I can hop on Amazon and in 30 seconds, it's in a cart. 30 seconds after that, it's on its way to me and I have it in two days. So time is a, is a value to me. So I'm thinking, okay, who else might value my, my turnaround time? 
Okay. Is that somebody in the market for personal branding? Is that somebody in business? Is that a mom? Right? Christmas is coming up. Can I turn around that family portrait session before Christmas? Can I deliver product by Christmas? It's in eight days, nine days, something like that. Like, think about where it is that you spend your money and why. And then you can say, all right, well, if time is a factor, who else might time be valuable to in the services and products that I offer that turnaround time? In other, like my fine art line, time and expediency of delivery is not at the top of my list. Right? In a fine art line where I'm going to be spending time designing a session and curating original product, like that's a six to eight week turnaround from start to finish at best. So I'm not going to create marketing copy that says anything about fast or efficient. But personal branding, bet your ass. Personal branding, I can curate the session for you. And I can make it one of a kind for you, for your brand. And then I can deliver those images to you within five business days of shooting. Right? So think about where you spend your money and why. And then make those correlations to the services and products that you offer. Yes, no, if, and. And then start dialing in on the people that value those things outside of yourself. And then you can start building those archetypes from that space. Ooh, I love that so much. Okay. And I want to poke it Becca a little bit on this one, because I know getting into this part of the nitty gritty is something that you are really passionate about. Um, and you've talked about it several times. So Obviously, we began with some of the broader categories, right? And then Kat also gave us some techniques that we can use in real life to start honing in on that avatar and who these people are. So what do we do, Becca, when we start trying to get even more, like as Kat was saying, you know, we look at some of our own beliefs and behaviors and ask ourselves why. How does that actually help us? How does this, what are their behaviors, what are their beliefs, actually help us find these people that I think Kat's um, explanation of everything thus far was fantastic. And um, looking again, you know, just kind of using yourself as a case study is a really great way to start figuring out how to think about that. So things like, you know, if you were to like, where do you go get your coffee on your way to work? Are you going to go through the drive through at McDonald's? Or are you going to stop and park and go into Starbucks? Like looking at your own buying habits and then going through even kind of those seven layers of why on why you make those decisions. Are you going to choose what's fastest? Are you going to choose what's cheapest? Are you going to go to the place that uses like uh you know uh well i can't think of the word you know like um where that sources their beans a certain way for their coffee um are you going to go to the place that has a certain flavor because the quality and the taste is the most important thing to you so like looking at all those different things within your own habits it can be anything from like your face wash to like if you buy art for your own home, if you've ever hired an artist, you know, what helped you make those decisions? Uh, so when you start considering then how other people are going to make those decisions, I think you can reverse engineer that from your product as well. So when you look at what your product is, you look at your own personal values, like we talked about already, you know, what drives you to either want to create art or to want to create this as a business. And then 
try to do that reverse engineering to look at what kind of person is going to really value that product and why they're going to value that product. So really looking into those behaviors, what it, what is important to them and how they spend their time, how they spend their money and how they then are going to find their way to you is super, super valuable. Um, and then also looking at how you're going to differentiate yourself from everyone else who also is out there, you know, making art and screaming into the void. You can then start looking at how that differentiation for your own art is going to apply to those different people. So you can really, you know, have a lot of value to them and reach out to them more directly and uh, kind of put your finger on those pain points, if that makes sense. Okay, brilliant. I love where this conversation is going. So if you're just joining us today, I'm going to do kind of a quick summary of where we're at so far and where we're going. We know we're building a business. The point of the business is add value to the market, but we have to be able to do that through our customers. They're the folks who are going to buy from us. So how do we know who they are and how do we know how to reach them and how do we know what to say? So in order to find our ideal client, we have a couple of options here. If we are in business for a specific purpose, like we know what value we want to add to the market, we want to create, this is using the example from previous conversations, we want to create fantasy beauty portraits for women so we can capture their loveliness and their glory that they can have to remember for years. Okay, if we're not able to do this in business, then we don't really want to be in business. This is the value we want to give to the world. Then it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to go, let me go figure out a person and then decide what to give them, right? We already know that the heart is the thing we want to give. So who wants this? We use ourselves as an example. We use other people that we meet when we talk about what we do and we see how they respond. We use these as case studies to start building up an avatar. This avatar is the representation for the kind of person who is going to buy our goods and services. And this can be based on their pain points. So what is this person going to need our product to fix for them? Is it because they've never felt beautiful? Is it because they've outgrown the stage of their life where we as a society value women's beauty and they're at a point now where their beauty is not celebrated like it should be. There could be all kinds of reasons and different pain points that we could use as the basis for this avatar. We can also build this avatar off of moving toward pleasure. So who is the kind of person who is going to want to see themselves represented this way? What is it that they get from this? And then once we know those things, we can start asking ourselves the deeper questions well, why? Why do they believe this about themselves? Where do they spend their time and money, as Kat mentioned? What do they do? That allows us to know where to find these folks. So now we know what value we want to give them. We know what problem that's going to solve or what pleasure that's going to give. That way we know how to talk to them. Now we have to find them. And these, these kind of, this information that we've given ourselves allows us to figure out, well, where are they going to be? If I want to put forth marketing out into the world, where do I put it? Is this person hanging out on a political like Facebook page? What kind of things do they like? If I want to target my ads, what other brands can I use as targeting material? Is this somebody 
who liked O Magazine and Gucci? Is this somebody who liked First Time Parent Magazine and the movie The Notebook? Like, we can start using some of these things that we've understood about this person as we've built this avatar to figure out where to go to find these people. If we know we want to target women who, you know, value personal appearance, they probably have a favorite salon that they go to. They probably have a gym that they go to. They're probably a couple boutiques that they really go to because these outward appearance markers matter to them. And so when we build that avatar and we start asking ourselves these questions, we can use those things as a way to plan out how we're going to reach out to these folks. Well, I'm going to go ahead to this local high-end salon and I'm going to offer them um, coupons. I'm going to say, you know, here's gift cards um, to give to your, your, you know, top tier clients just to celebrate them and let them know that you appreciate them. It's a thousand dollars towards a portrait session with me, blah, 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 blah. Now we're using that business as a way to reach out to people we've already pre-qualified as the type of client that we want to have. So that's the reason that building these avatars is so important to our marketing efforts. So I want to hear your guys' um, thoughts and responses. Um, Bassam, go ahead and then we'll start asking members of the audience to come. Good morning, everyone. We've had a few discussions on avatars here, and, and I don't want to call them debates, but discussions, and we have maybe different opinions. And I just want to uh, say that for me, the purpose, the, the real purpose of focusing in on one avatar that's extremely detailed is because it allows you to have clarity in your messaging, right? There could be, it could be that nobody in the world exists that actually fits that avatar to a T, but by going into these, these demographics and going into the details, you're addressing various aspects of different people or different aspects that different people can see in that avatar. So that when you're out there reaching out, even though that ideal person may not exist, people will see themselves in your message. And we talk about where do we, where do we find them? But it's also a matter of where they can find us because even though we're focusing example on offering this experience to women aged between such and such and such and such some of the messaging that we create based on that avatar may attract men that have that one or two or three values that are in our message so even though we're honing in on one avatar people may say yeah but but you know your, your audience is bigger than that well absolutely but by having that clarity it allows them to find you also because they connect with what you're saying or one aspect of what you're saying as opposed to the whole avatar as such. That's such a good point, Vassam. And I think really important to note as well, um, there is no rule that says you must absolutely have one avatar. If you think there are three distinct types of people, then do three avatars. Um, but, but the point is so important that the avatar gives you clarity so you know how to talk to somebody. I know the other day we mentioned the fact that we don't all share the same definitions for the words we use. And particularly when we have been in an industry for a while, we will fall back on commonly used jargon or words that are understood in a certain way inside the industry that aren't necessarily understood the same way on the outside. So knowing who this person is helps to give us 
an actual direction and a, a kind of a baseline definition for the words that we choose to use. Because if I say, it's a photo that makes you look like you're in vogue, okay? What does that mean to different people? We don't have a way to necessarily clarify that unless we are really particularly targeting people who are passionate, sorry for the car, about that magazine, fashion, et cetera, et cetera. And then the other thing I wanna mention really quickly um, is that as your business grows and as you continue, one of the things that you want to do is look at your current customer base and ask questions about those folks. So who are the people that have already worked with you, that have already paid you, your ideal clients that are working with you now? How do they line up against those avatars? And where did they find you? The more information you can get from the people you've already worked with, the better you are gonna be able to understand the people who are really showing up at your door. And the more you can kind of alter that avatar to fit the ideal clients you already have. So you can use your current and past success as a way to plan out your next marketing strategies and who you should be. Kat, are you unmuted on purpose? Oh, no, I wasn't, but <laughs> um, I actually really like that Bassam brought up the piece about like the ideal version of that archetype may not exist as a real person, but it is certain aspects that will resonate with other clients, right? Whether it's men, whether it's, you know, maybe she's a, a mom, but she's not interested in, in personal branding, but she loves legacy, right? And that's important for her. Uh, but maybe status isn't her deal, but she knows that the value of what you're bringing to her will allow her to solve some of those pain points. Um, and so understanding that that messaging and how you speak to different archetypes for the same product can be determined by leveraging the aspects that you've created in that ideal client. Yeah, and on a, uh, on a addition to that, Sometimes by having clarity on that avatar, you can actually create sub products that would meet, that would, would allow you to you know, offer more uh, to these clients. I have a specific example. I've talked often about that spa that, uh, that I did some work for. And when we did the avatar for that uh, luxury spa slash massage slash aesthetics place, we said that, that that woman who's the avatar really values her business connections and and that's where she gets a lot of her pleasure and, and 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 information and so on and she loves the networking aspect of it which drove us to decide that we can rent out the spa on a yearly basis for networking events something that the owner had never thought about before Ooh, that's so clever i like it yeah that's a really fantastic point, Basam. And um, this is the reason why mining your current customers for information on why they've chosen you, why they come back to you, why they refer their friends, where they found you, all those kinds of things. If you can get that information out of them, man, that is a gold mine that will help direct you into how you can continue the success you currently have and how you can build upon that. Because if somebody found you through a reference on a Facebook page, well, 
who are the rest of the people in that community? Do they share similar ideals? How can you increase your exposure to those people? It's a lot of really great information to have. So before we call up friends from the audience, I wanna ask if Matt and Becca, if you guys have anything you want to share where we're at so far. And then in the meantime, friends in the audience, if you have some thoughts today on finding your ideal client, how we can reach those folks, please raise your hand. We would love to. I think, you know, I, I relate it to my journey and I spoke about this the other day where your voice changes over time. I think this avatar changes over time as well, right? So as your business grows, as you start to become interested in other things, as you move from one genre or niche to another, um, going through this exercise as kind of Kat has laid it out uh, so perfectly, I, I think it's important to just check in every now and again. Is this the work that's really stimulating me? Are these the people that I want to have in here? And, you know, don't beat your, your head against the wall if you're just not feeling the type of work that you're doing. Change that avatar up. Switch it up. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's something that you continually refine that process over and over and over until you realize that all the clients that are coming through your door are exactly who you want them to be. So it's just, you know, it's a, it's a, not a fast process, but it's a really important. Ooh, I love that, Matt. And I know we've mentioned a few times how our business is a growing and living and breathing thing. And that's such a good illustration of that point. Because if you built your avatar and you're starting to realize that most of the folks who come in based on the advertising you're using with that avatar as a, you know, example person that you're talking to, and you don't like working with them, <laughs> then maybe something needs to be altered and changed in there. Um, and, and don't be afraid to change and alter that avatar as you grow, which is why using your current clients and your current ideal clients, the ones that just were everything when you worked with them, is such a great way to start making those tweaks. I love that, Matt. And also understanding too that when you can mine from clients you've already worked with, the ones that really jazz you up, that you had so much fun working with, they maybe they had a great sale or maybe they had a mediocre sale, but you had a ball. When you dial in on who that person is and why they jazz you up, that's going to allow you to clarify your messaging even farther um, because that energetic frequency is the same right? Like they adored working with you. You loved working with them. It's obviously like a repeat client situation and you can tailor your marketing messaging to reach more of those people. Absolutely. So I just thought it would be really interesting. Um, remember if you're in the audience today, please feel free to raise your hand, come up and join us. If you have thoughts, I thought it would be really interesting to, look at one product so let's say we have a piece of wall art okay and we need to market this piece of wall art let's look at three different kinds of people and how our marketing copy might change depending on who we're trying to sell this piece of wall art to the wall art itself is exactly the same but the messaging that we use to sell it is going to touch different people. So let's say that the avatar of the ideal client that we want to sell this wall art to is 
a woman who would be traditionally considered social high status. They value appearances, they value legacy, they value family and history, but they also find it very important to present themselves, their family and their home in a way that they can feel proud of that kind of maintains that social status, the, the, the visual representation of that social status. What is a way that we might be able to talk to her specifically about putting this piece of art in her home? I would love to hear examples. What might we say, guys? I'm just gonna keep being quiet till somebody says something. Sorry, I'm looking for dry shampoo. Um, <laughs> That's important stuff. It so is. Um, <laughs> so if you're talking to somebody who, like their family is a high value for them, but also being able to present as a piece of wall art that declares legacy, that also maybe that reminds their kids that they are loved, right? What are, what are the, the questions you can ask them and what are the statements you can make about your work? Like Sue Bryce is killer at this. Uh, one day your children will go looking for photos of you. What will they find, right? Because that pulls on heartstrings, that touches on legacy, that touches on family heirlooms like all of those things. And then the wall art itself is this beautifully curated, amazing portrait that will stand the test of time, right? So what is the thing and how do you describe it to reach these ladies, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And so, I mean, I love that example. And you can think about the fact of, you know, if this is somebody who also values status, then when your kids walk, like when your kids visit, how are you going to show them you care? Like, are they going to see this beautiful one of a kind piece of artwork that represents your love for them on the wall? What are they going to see? I mean, there's, there's so much that you could dig into there. Once you know who that person is and what they value in the piece of wall art is going to be the same. So let's keep that person in our head, that kind of high status person who values family and legacy, but also they do value that those visible signs of status, right? And so we might mention things like the, um, the unique, um, the printer that we use. Maybe this printer only uses handmade paper, from etc etc that has all of these amazing qualities maybe we have a framer who you know builds their own frames out of the wood that they source from somewhere and it's completely unique and the engraver makes a plaque that's a one of a kind or whatever um, if status is important then we can share things about our products that will show how they will increase or maintain your status if legacy is important then we choose to share things that explain how this product is going to continue to reinforce this legacy. So that is one folks, okay? Let's look at a different kind of client. So let's look at a businessman who is coming up in the world and he you know, has his sight set on the top, but he's not there yet. 
and he, we want to sell him a piece of wall art. How do we talk to this person? What kinds of things might we mention? This is probably somebody who has a gym membership. They probably have a pretty nice car. They're somebody who's really reaching for the future that they want. How do we talk to that person about having wall art? What are some things we might say or some things we might consider? Nicola, I want to clarify something. I'm, I'm, as you're asking the questions, I'm, I'm thinking, and maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's all the same. But when you talked about the first avatar, that woman, you talked about putting the wall art in her home, which is an assumption that if you, if you have that profile, you may, you're going to put it in your home. And my question is, could there be other places well, where wall art can be uh, uh, put or, or used by that same profile? Now you ask yes. a question about a different profile, right? And my, and my, my thought is, you know, maybe we need to look at it both ways. Same profile, but where else or how else can they can they value wall art? And or and or different profile, same place to put the wall art or different place to wall. So just something. No, I, I love that, Basam. I think it's really important. Sorry for the cars, guys. I think it's really important to mention the fact that if I'm trying to get you to put something in your home, Obviously, the wording and the pain points and the pleasure points are going to be different than they are if I'm trying to get you to put something in your office, right? So that's a really fantastic point. And, and we could talk to the same person, like you said, about different locations. But the main point here is if we have the same product and we want to sell it to different people, we have to speak to them where they're at, right? If we have an avatar of a businessman who is trying to come up in the world and you know, that, that is important to him, this reaching for status, this reaching for success, why would he want a beautifully framed piece of wall art? What would he do with that that would reinforce what he wants from his life? And these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. And if we were to assume a third person, let's say that this is, um, this is a, a farmer who has, whose family has been working, you know, the, the, the farm for, you know, 200 years, his family has owned this ranch and et cetera, et cetera. That person is going to have a different language. They're going to require different things from us. The wording is going to have to fit. So the entire point of that exercise is just to show how if we don't know who we're talking to, we don't know who they are. We don't know what they want. We don't know how to talk to them. We don't know what pain points they have that our work is going to solve. And we don't know what pleasures they have that we can, you know, give to them, reinforce to them through the work that we're creating for them, even when it's the exact same piece of product. If it's a piece of wall art, we're going to go through the same process for everybody. It's going to be printed. It's going to be matted. It's going to be mounted. It's going to be framed, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody's getting the same thing, but they're not getting it for the same reason. And that is what we have to understand even about the work that we create as artists, as photographers. We're all taking photographs of people. We're all painting pictures of whatever. You are competing against every single other person who is doing the same thing you are. But the way that you reach out to folks and the way that you offer them value, the value statement that you make to them about the work that they are gonna get from you is gonna be 
a completely like that's going to be unique to you and the person that you're talking to especially um the more niche you become the more important this becomes so an elopement photographer who only photographs adventurous couples they're going to talk to those people in their marketing copy in a way that is going to um, get rid of or turn off every single person who doesn't suit that avatar so if i if, if you're you know and and then the places that you reach out to them is going to be different so you might go on places like mountain project you might be going in groups that are talking about local trails in the area great hikes wonderful camping you might be you know advertising in places where people are also buying things like hiking boots i mean these these types of conversations are going to vary so greatly depending on the person that you're talking to so i want to make sure that we have some time as well we've got some hands up so we have carol and jean today Let's make sure that we do our best to stay on topic so that we can close everything up on time because I've been uh, I've been guilty of dragging us over <laughs> over time a little bit. So um, Carol, you had your hand up first. Want to hear from you and then Jean. Will when you brought up the first um, person, um, I actually had a person come to mind, a name of a person. And it goes back to an earlier conversation about um, you know, I mean, I know her and what her likes are and all that, and I can't relate to any of them in my life. You know, um, she is the person I spoke of briefly before, um, just that she was going to help me as a fashion designer. And I asked her, I told her, I said, oh, good, you can help me with my attitude about rich people really thinking she was someone I could learn from. Instead, I put her off and she had bought just little things from me before and things that were, you know, my painted rocks and instead of an art piece in the house, she put them in her garden, you know, but I did learn a lot about her archetype and how um, it is nothing that I can relate to. So do we also have to know us when it comes to that as well who we are comfortable working with or we need to change who we're comfortable working with i'm not sure that's a really fantastic question carol and i would first say that it's important for us to recognize that our clients do not have to be like us they do not need to be people that we can identify with they just need to be people that we can empathize with and understand so those pain points, if somebody wants, if like an important part of the reason somebody is going to purchase from us is that they value nature and they value the, the beauty and the wildness and all of those things. And my paintings satisfy those needs for them. But I am somebody who values nature for its usefulness, for my ability to feel better when I'm there or these other things. We don't have to be the same kind of person. I don't need to be comfortable with them as a person to sell to them, meaning I don't have to be able to take my life experiences and identify with that person, but I do need to understand them and I need to be able to empathize with them. And I do need to do the internal work of recognizing everybody doesn't need to be like me for them to find value in what I do. 
and for me to get the pleasure of having given something good to them in their lives. And often for many of us, um, our customers may be wildly different. Um, there are many artists who are kind of messy, caffeine-fueled recluses, and their collectors are people who are jet-setting around the world and everything is planned and they've got a bazillion dollars, right? Um, we don't have to resemble our clients, but we do have to understand them. So I think that's a really important thing to... Uh... Yeah, I think it's important to reinforce something we talked about the other day. After, you know, uh, it is, is not to fall in the trap of putting labels on people and then based on that label kind of make deductions as how they would behave and how they are. Labels so I'm using Carol's example right, of... Bethan? Yeah, yeah, no, or, or specific labels, for example, which Carol just mentioned, I'm just going to use her word, how rich people behave, right? Well, rich is a, is a relative term, right? I mean, if you're making $50,000 to somebody who's making $15,000, you are rich, right? So, that is, so, so we got to be careful with labels that limit our, our, our point, uh, you know, our, our view. And instead, ask things like, okay, the word rich, you know, it, rich in what? rich in adventure, rich in this, rich in that, because it's not all about money. And, uh, you know, in my previous life, I've, I've met many millionaires and billionaires who buy business jets and private jets. And you'll find all kinds of people. And some people don't even consider themselves rich. It's not about the money. It's not about, it's, it's about the hard work. It's about their passion. It's, uh, so just be careful with labels is one way to start uh, kind of diversifying our view. In that same vein, too, um, I mean, again, this is just a great example of why we need to go beyond demographic, right? Just the basic, you know, geolocation, age, sex, socioeconomic economic status, whatever, um, because that is just the surface level. When we get into the deeper values for the person, that's when we can start connecting with them, as Basam and Nicole just said, right? So, like, even if someone um, isn't rich, but maybe they really value like the quality or the design of a certain product, right? Like I have certain uh, designer brands I really love that I can't afford to buy all the time, but I will save and budget to afford those finer things because I value things that those that, that I can get from owning those things. So even if that then presents an, like uh, a visual of me being rich, I'm, I'm not, absolutely not. So again, getting into the deeper values and why people are going to spend their money where they're going to spend their money is so much more valuable to how you connect with them than just looking at the demographic. That helps. Thanks. It turns it around for me. And I know what, I know what she values. Breakfast at Tiffany's from the time she was a child. You know, she likes to flaunt her wealth. And probably part of why I didn't relate to her quite as much. But... Yeah, and you know, Carol, um, it's really interesting too. So, you know, you, you mentioned the behavior she has that she likes to flaunt her wealth. And then what happens, you know, in the beginning of the conversation, Kat mentioned asking why, right? So looking at some of those behaviors and asking why. Why does she, why does she flaunt her wealth? Or why do you feel like she flaunts her wealth? There's something emotional she's getting from that act that is benefiting her in some way. And that might be because... Um, it helps her feel like she's safe and secure in the world and that all of the hard work she's done has paid off. Like there, there's something emotional that's going on there that she can connect to. And it could be that we have to question our assumptions sometimes as well, right? My, 
this is just a quick example and then I'll let you respond um, before we go to Jean. My, my mother-in-law has always been um, in a rough place financially. And then her sister um, and her husband are, are relatively well off. Not, I mean, they're, they're solidly middle class, but they're able to do things like take vacations and go skiing and do things like that. And they're, they're generous, but my mother-in-law might see those acts as flaunting, right? Like that, that could potentially be something that she's like, well, I'm in a place where money is not, number one, it's not a huge deal to me. But number two, um, I see that behavior as flaunting behavior, even though that's really just them enjoying the fruits of their labor, right? So it's both. Sometimes it's, let's figure out why the person is doing that thing, because it's the belief and the emotional, etc., that's important, not necessarily the act. And then number two, sometimes we have to question our assumptions a little bit because remember, we all have lenses that we look through the. Yeah, I think it's a it, it's a, a good example of uh, you know the breakfast at Tiffany's thing. I am one hundred percent sure every single one of us has the equivalent of that. Our favorite place or restaurant or that place that we go to that gives us that same feeling of nostalgia or whatever whatever thing uh, memories it brings up. And I and I just want to point out uh, if the famous line from Oprah where she says I don't know the exact words but. I'm, I still, I'm still the same person. I still walk on the ground, but I'm just wear more expensive shoes. I would also like to kind of touch on the judgment piece a little bit, um, and understanding that while we might not be in the space currently um, where we want to be, but to look at what it would take to be where we want to be, uh, and analyze if that would require that we also be wealthy to accomplish those things. And would that wealth make us a bad person? So like Carol specifically, you've mentioned how like you would love to be able to retire and move across the country with your husband and give him a retirement comfortable. What would that require financially of you to be able to accomplish? And would that, would that dollar amount mean that you were then wealthy? And if you were then wealthy, does that automatically mean that that movement and that living comfortably makes you a bad person or means that you will then be flaunting your wealth? Got it. Thanks so much. I want to leave room for Jean. I so Absolutely. Thank you for asking the question. I know it's not always easy, but um, this is such important stuff to talk about because I think it's things we can all identify with in different areas. So, Oh, Carol, I will always yield to you because you are on the verge of taking over the clothing market. So um, I, uh, good morning, everybody. I just, um, I've been listening this week. Um, I've been down in Columbia and haven't been able to uh, be involved as much, but I've been, uh, I've been paying attention and, you know, there's something that um, I, I right right around the time you know Becca says to you know to also kind of look away from demographics. Unfortunately, my my idea here is kind of centered on demographics. So Becca, I apologize for that. But I I honestly believe that unknowingly, or maybe maybe you guys are aware of this, and I'm just late to the party. But I think that this group this week has stumbled on a billion dollar idea. And Nicole, you asked the question about, you know, how do we find people that want 
that would want wall art. And there's, I want to go back to something that I, I, I believe it was Kat uh, that mentioned earlier in the week. Um, it was just a term, a phrase. It was, she was actually talking about something else, but she just threw this off the cuff. And it impacted me so much that I, I mean, I even back channeled Basam about it. And I was like, oh my God, like this is such a great idea. But it was the, the idea of, of a heritage print. Now, I know we talk a lot about legacy prints and legacy photo shoots and this, that, and the other. We've also talked a lot in the room about the importance of, of words and how words mean different things to different people. I think a lot of people consider legacy and heritage to be sort of in the same family, but it said something completely different to me when I heard the word heritage. And the reason is because among my 50,000 different hobbies that I have, one of the things that I'm really, really interested in is genealogy. And so I'm making the connection between what Kat uh, recommended or, or uh, mentioned as, as heritage prints. And by using that word, what, what it occurs to me is I, I, I Googled this and did some uh, research on it because I was curious. I did not realize this, but the genealogy market in the United States is a $3 billion market, and it's expected to go to $6 billion by, by 2026. That is just phenomenal to me. And what that means is that there are all these people that are spending this money trying to figure out where they came from. And at the end of that journey, what most of us end up with is, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, scanned copies of some old birth certificates and a scrap album that we might have it all put in. But wouldn't it be amazing if once we make the connection to what our heritage really is, who our ancestors were, if we had some kind of a portrait that depicted us in that environment, and that reminded me this week of how important it is to have a story attached to something that you're that you're putting out. The Mary Patton project that I want to work on, um, you know, all of that is involved in in how are we telling the story, the stuff that we talked about that whole month about visual literacy. How can we put all that into play to tell the story of where I come from, and then and then output that as a heritage print that someone could hang on their wall, and why? Not because I want to look at myself every day, but because that becomes an heirloom that gets handed down as a visual throughout my family to show where our people came from, where we came from. And I just, I just think that that is something that is globally, universally uh, desired around the world. And I think it's a, I think it's a great idea. And Bassam will understand why it's ironic that I, stumbled across this amazing billion dollar idea at this particular <laughs> point in my yeah. life but well, um, well, you know, if, if somebody you know, else runs with this i just ask that you give to me a help ride you out. private jet <laughs> to, to, yeah to help you out i just want to point out one of uh, sue bryce members and and cat please help me with her name uh if i don't pronounce it right but she has a one of the podcasts with uh, nikki that you may want to go back and you probably already listened to it her name is mapuana is that a w right way to pronounce it cat yes mapuana so Mapuana Reed does exactly what you're talking about in terms of her portraiture being 100% heritage type uh, prints and, and wall art and, and photos. So you may want to look her up. So I had a great idea. That's good. <laughs> like every great idea, somebody's already doing it, my friend. But that doesn't mean it's that not a great mean we idea. Can't do it. Right. Or especially when it's something you're passionate about and listening to the way that you were speaking about it. Clearly, it's something you would care about. And that's 
one of the important ingredients I think in uh, in really selling something well is it has to be something that matters to you. So as we are at the end of the hour today, we are ending this part of our discussion on business, on mastering the business of art, the Artist Forge MBA, um, talking about marketing and how we find our ideal clients, how we reach out to them, how do we speak to them, and where are they? What kind of behaviors do they have? What beliefs do they have that lead them to those places? And how does understanding those things help us reach out to those folks and connect who they are and what they need and what they want to what we sell? And then making sure that we keep in mind every single one of us has got biases, we have a unique worldview, we have a really particular lens that we see the world through. And sometimes in order to reach the people who love what we do, we have to confront some of those ideas. I know I have had to do it. I think we all do at some point have to look and go, all right, I recognize number one, that if somebody tried to get me to buy what I sell people, I wouldn't buy it, guys. I am not my ideal client. I'm not my ideal client. And that is okay because I understand what it is that they need. I know what they're coming to me for. I care about providing it to them. And I care about the fact that I'm able to solve the problem that they have, the reason that they're coming to me. So, Let's just make sure that we confront those things within ourselves. We do our best to understand and empathize with the people we're working with. The better we understand them, the better we're going to be able to speak and reach out to them, speak their language, etc. Don't forget to mine your current ideal customers for information as much as you can. And this does not always have to be like, hey, uh, you know, you worked with me. Can you fill out this survey? Sometimes that works. I don't know if y'all fill those things out. I don't. When I'm done, I want to be done. I'm not interested in continuing to engage. But you can do that during the process. You can ask those questions. If you speak in person, you can, you know, give answers. Um, a lot of folks pay attention to the um, pay attention to your website. You are able to tell where where folks are coming from and what devices they use. There's a lot of great information there as well. So the more information you can get from those folks that tell you who your ideal client already is, why they come to you, what they want from you, what they're getting, all of that stuff, the better. And then track everything, track everything, keep that information, make sure that you get the numbers so that you know, because when you're testing, test everything, that's another thing. When you're testing, you have that information, you have those numbers, you have the statistics, you know what works where. Um, so keep that stuff. All right. Thanks to everybody who is here today. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for sharing your thoughts and your wisdom. And if you have not already, but you want to, the application for the Artist Forge scholarship provided by Catboard Codes and Atelier Unforgettable is currently up on the Facebook page. You do have to be signed into your Google account. Um, but go in there. You can fill that out if you would like to apply for that scholarship. You have until December 31st to get in an application to be considered for the scholarship. So do that if you want to and you haven't already. Um, in the meantime, have a fantastic weekend. Go make amazing things. We'll see everybody for the continued business discussion starting Monday morning.
bright and early at 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. That is 6 a.m. for the West Coast and 9 a.m. for the East Coast. Have a great weekend and we'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to this live Clubhouse discussion moderated by all of us at the Artist Forge. We hope you found the information useful and that it helps you gain a little bit of insight as to how you work on your craft. For more episodes, please join us each weekday on Clubhouse or visit theartistforge.com. Now go make something incredible.